A good flip to me is a property that you buy it at a price range, which is number one averages of the market. Why? Because the mid-sector properties tend to sell the quickest. The mid-price range always sells. Yet, what do people like to brag about? Oh, well, you know, my neighbor, man, he bought a property, 4000 then he put another 4000 into it, and then, you know, he sold it for one point two. What they don't realize, what they're saying is, well, actually, how long did it take to sell that property? How much work did they put on it? And if one thing had gone sideways on it, what would they have actually made? Welcome to the Cashflow for Life podcast. We believe there are two types of people in this world. People that have greater cash flow coming in every single month or people who have cash flow going out. We believe you need to be the type of person that has cash flow coming in. And that is what this podcast is all about. Our mantra is simple. If you take care of real estate for the first five years, real estate will take care of you for the rest of your life. If you're looking to achieve financial freedom through real estate investing, you're in the right place. Andrew Holmes, a renowned expert in the field, is your guide on this journey. Andrew is the driving force behind National RE Invest, the largest real estate investors association in the United States. Together, we're here to help you build wealth and create more cash flow in your life. Let's get into the show. Today's show is all about finding the best flips in any market. So as we get started, remember, what is this podcast about? It's about one thing and one thing only that is cash flow for life. So today we're specifically going to talk about how do I find the best markets for flipping? What are the best properties that make for the best flips? And mind you, whatever we're going to talk about is going to be applicable to about 99% of the United States. So why do I say 99%? Well, because you're always going to have those pockets. Like if you're right uh, on kind of the, you know, uh, facing the ocean in Miami, or if you're in California, parts of maybe New York, but guess what? 99% of the United States is not those particular places. So this is going to be applicable to all those places. And if you are even in those pockets where you're in parts of California, that's just sometimes are crazy hot, that even in Miami, we're not going to talk about what you can do 1% times. We're going to talk about what you can repeat 99% of the times. So let's jump right into it. So first of all, when we talk about finding the best flip market, right? And finding the best flips in any market. What do we mean by that? So what we're talking about is how do you consistently make 40, 50, 60, $100,000 in profit? But when you think about those numbers, 40 to 100, that's a big range. So what is realistic in today's market in 99% of America? Well, it's realistic to make 40,000, 50,000, 60,000. That is something that is a repeatable activity. Now, if you say, well, but Andrew, I need to make 100000 I need to make one fifty every time. That is not going to be something that is repeatable time and time again. So you have to keep in mind, see, we're not doing HGTV, right? In reality TV, there's nothing real about reality TV. What we're going to talk about today is something that I've tested personally. Uh, I can show you over and over again how we can create those outcomes. And not only have I tested this personally, but over the last 10 years, as I've worked with thousands of other people, um, in terms of getting them to a place where they have cash flow for life, right? We have tested these theories. And remember, we're going to talk about properties that are boring, meaning when you watch a TV show, what do they show? They show a property that's really dilapidated and you're doing this over-the-top flip, right? Over-the-top type of rehab. Guys, listen, you make money in a property not because how much work you do. You make money in a property because you bought it right. Work in a property is something that you have to do to create, to increase value or force up value and create an extraordinary outcome. 
And we're talking about an extraordinary outcome. We're talking about an extraordinary profit. So we're going to flip a property. Why? Because it's going to give us an extraordinary return in a limited amount of money. What do we mean by limited amount of money? Realistically, in six months or less, right? That should be your goal. And so we'll, as we delve into it, you'll see that a lot of times what most people think when they're new. See, when most people think they're new, what they think is, oh my God, I'm going to buy this property. I'm going to do this extraordinary rehab. And that's why I'm going to make a profit. See, nobody pays you because you did an extraordinary rehab. People pay you because you're delivering a good product that they want to buy. How much work you do actually has nothing to do with how much profit you make. That's what we want to think about. When we're new, we think, oh my God, if I work really, really hard, you know, somebody's going to pay me a lot. What do people pay for? People only pay for two things, right? People only pay for two things. And that is kitchen and that is for baths, right? That's it. Now, well, Andrew, but what if I did a brand new roof? Well, they're not going to pay for it, but they like it if you have a new roof. Well, what about the windows? Well, they like it if you have brand new windows. What about electrical and plumbing? I did all this work. Well, guess what? They expect the property to have uh, safe electrical. They expect the property to have plumbing that works, right? These are things that are expected, right? But they pay for bathrooms and they pay for kitchens. This is just how it is. Anything else that you do in a property, they expect that. If it's extraordinarily nice, fantastic. What about a finished basement? Well, can I get a little bit more for that? Sure. In markets that that is expected, sure. Right? You have to bring the property to a level where the fit and finish is nice, but you don't have to do anything extraordinary in most of the cases. Now, mind you, do not use what you see on HGTV as your benchmark. Because if that's what you do in terms of looking as your benchmark, if you're fit and finish, guess what's going to happen? 99.9% of times, nobody is going to pay you that kind of money. So whenever we think about flipping, the first rule that we have to remember is we're trying to get the property about 94, 95% there, meaning you're never going to have a perfect property. This is a resale property, mind you. You've probably bought it as some sort of a distress or you bought it as an older property and you're making it nicer, right? That's the goal, that it, you should be nicer than rest of the properties that are on the market. And why do we do a flip? We do a flip so we can generate an extraordinary amount of return in a six-month or less period. So what is reasonable? And we're going to talk about about 98%, 99% of the United States, which is there are going to be some markets that are extraordinarily crazy. If you're in New York City, if you're downtown Chicago in a condo, if you are kind of in Miami facing the beach, right, overlooking the ocean kind of thing, uh, or if you're in California and you're in Beverly Hills. But guess what? That's not 99% of the United States. So in 99% of the United States, if you're making a 40, 50, 60, $70,000 profit, that is a great profit in terms of uh, in a six-month period. Now, you have to remember that it's going to be related to the amount of rehab you do. It's going to be related to the amount of time that it takes for you to do it. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And some basic philosophies when we're talking about this. Remember, why are we doing a flip? We do a flip only for two reasons. Number one, it's going to help us get closer to our goal, which is to build cash flow for life. Or number two, it's going to put money on the table. So what, I, what do I mean? Let's just say you're a real estate agent, you're a loan officer, or you're doing flips on the side. You have a full-time job. So when do you flip a property? You flip a property when you can't keep it, meaning it doesn't fit your criteria to keep the property for a long-term rental or for a good Airbnb, or when you shouldn't keep it. So what do I mean by shouldn't keep it? Well, what I mean is when the numbers 
don't make sense. So I'll give you guys an example. I just bought a property about a couple of months ago. I paid, I think, $292 for it. The back-end value on it is $550. Now we have the property ready. So to have it ready from the time that I bought it to now, it's been about 60 days. And I spent about $42,000 on the property. So when we think about it, my all-in cost is about $292 plus about $40,000 plus some carrying cost and then selling cost. So if I look to keep the property, let's say I'm in the property, purchase, rehab, and carrying about $350 to $360. That's going to be my hard cost. Now, if I was to go Airbnb the property, am I going to make a return where I can Airbnb the property and then make a great profit? Now, if I'm going to make a couple thousand, three thousand a month after all expenses, it would make sense as a great Airbnb. So in that area, I'm not clear if I can do that. For sure, I can rent the property, but I'm going to break even. I'm not necessarily going to make a lot of money. So what about a flip? Well, it works as a phenomenal flip because I know today I can sell that property for about $550,000. So I buy for two ninety two, dollars put about $40,000 into the property because it's just a dated property. So we did basically basic rehab in the property, new kitchen, new bathrooms, and we put it right back on the market. So about forty dollars to $45,000 rehab, I can make over $100,000 return in terms of when I go to sell the property. I mean, all day long. See, that is a property that I can sell one property and buy three, four, five, six, seven other rentals because of the extraordinary amount of money that I made in that property. So you flip because it's going to get you closer to your outcome. Our outcome always being, how do we build cash flow for life? Now, if you're that person that just says, hey, man, I'm just hooked on flipping right? It's like some people are like that, where there's like some people are hooked on crack, some people are hooked on flipping, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But just understand, flipping is a job, right? Owning properties that cash flow for the rest of your life, that is not a job. Somebody else has to go to their job, which is which we call a treadmill, right? Flipping is a treadmill that you keep running on. Nothing wrong with that treadmill, but guess why you're listening to the podcast? You're listening to the podcast because you're going to use flips to get to an end outcome. Or you may say, Andrew, I have to use flips to live on that money. And that's fine also. So when we think about flipping, we have to think about that, hey, how do I generate the highest amount of cash flow in the least amount of time? And least is six months. Why do I say six months? Because reasonably to buy a property, to rehab a property, to get it back on the market, get it closed, you're generally not going to do it less than six months. This is a general rule of thumb. Now, if I'm going to make a prop, uh, profit on a property, so let me give you an example. Let's say I buy the property for 200 I put 50 into it, rehabbing it, and I resell the property after a year, and I still make 50000 See, To me, that is not enough profit. Why? Because now I spent 200 to buy it. I spent another 50000 to rehab the property, and then it took me a whole year to only make 50000 bucks. Imagine if I had to live on 50000 bucks right? That's not enough profit. Now, if I did that in six months, then that's an extraordinary amount of profit for the amount of time that I held the property. So it's important. How much money did I buy the property for? How much work did I do in the property? And then how much did I sell it for? Now, before we get into the rest of the flipping part of it, you have to think about this, that a lot of times people will say, well, then I don't really do wholesales. I just do flips. Well, why won't you do a wholesale? What if you bought the property, put it right back on the market, right? as we would call a hotel, and what if you can make twenty five to 30000 See, sometimes you'll run into deals, and a lot of times investors ignore these, where you can make an extraordinary amount of profit just 
wholesaling the whole deal. And you don't have to flip the contract. You can close on it, clean up the house inside, put it right back on the market, and make an extraordinary amount of profit. So how do we decide which property we're going to wholesale, which property we're going to hotel, or which property we're going to flip, right? So you wholesale a property that you don't want to keep. Meaning, you get a property under contract, it's not an area you're interested in. It's not an area that you should be keeping because maybe it's the tenant pool is not good. Or it's an area where it's like, well, I'm not sure, right? That it's an area which is not going to flip today. So today, as we record this, we're recording it November of 2023. So where is the market? Around the country, we're in a market where the market is a little bit soft, depending on where you are, especially if you are in a C area. So A area are affluent. B area is bread and butter, we like to call it, which is a mix of affluent people, blue-collar people. C area is going to be areas which have some crime which have some challenges, maybe not the closest to work, maybe not closest to the expensive areas. We all know such areas. Great areas to invest in. People love to buy there because they're much more affordable. But guess what's going to happen? Today, as interest rates tick up, you're going to have a little bit harder time. Not because these people would love to pay full price for your property because they don't have a lot of choices, but they can't because they're not going to qualify. And in those areas, we have some of those around Chicagoland. We have some pockets of Chicagoland, which are very expensive. We have other pockets of Chicagoland, much more affordable. But in those areas, guess what happens? In a market like today, when you have interest rates, 65 7%, 7.5%, those buyers are going to fall apart. Why? Not because they don't like the house. They would love the house. But they simply won't qualify when they look at their PITI. So it becomes important to understand those nuances. So in a market like today, where what areas are we going to look at? So let's understand the four areas to begin with first, right? And a lot of times, whenever I'm talking about all these things is because guess what? If you want to become a great basketball player, you want to become a great uh, golfer, guess what you have to do? You have to get good at your basics. And guys, you can't get good at your basics. Most investors, what do they do? They'll, any property they see, oh my God, I'm going to flip it. Oh my God, my numbers look good. See, a lot of the properties you shouldn't even touch because it's much better to pass them and or to pass them on to somebody else, right? And this is something I learned in the first three years of flipping, right? The first 100 flips I did, year one was 10, year two was 30, year three was 60. And when I looked at after the 100 flips that I had finished, I'd done all this work. You know what I realized? And this is what happens and most people don't realize it. That 33 out of the 100 flips made me more than $45,000 each. Now, mind you, at that time, I was buying flips less than $100,000. So when dollars $50,000 profit at that time was a lot of profit relative to the price that I was buying the properties. Yet, you realize 66 properties made me less than ten dollars or $12,000. So now the question becomes is, well, why did I flip 66 of those properties? I should have just let them go, right? I should have never even done those flips. I should have just done the more profitable flips uh, which were the about 30-some properties. Why? Because what I got caught up in, what most people get up in, uh, get caught in, because just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. This is a rule that you have to think about all the time. Hey, just because I can do it, should I be doing this? Is this a good choice for me? Because if a flip is not going to get me closer to my net outcome, even if I make a profit, right? I just did a flip. And um, in an area around Chicagoland, it's called Bellwood. And I made a video about it. And I said, oh my God, this was a terrible flip. 
Now, did I not make any money? I actually made $50,000, almost $48,000 to be exact. But yet, it took me a year and, a, uh, and 10 days to do it. For that much amount of time, somebody at my experience level, somebody with the amount of volume we deal with, that is not enough profit. Now, am I crying about it? No, of course not. But I certainly can't call it a win. So that becomes something really, really important to understand that we're not going to lie to ourselves, right? And this is something which is hard, and this comes with experience, that what is a good flip? A good flip to me is a property that you buy it at a price range, which is number one, averages of the market. Why? Because the mid-sector properties tend to sell the quickest, right? The mid-price range always sells. Yet, what do people like to brag about? Oh, well, you know, my neighbor, man, he bought a property, 4000 then he put another 4000 into it, and then, you know, he sold it for $1.2. What they don't realize, what they're saying is, well, actually, how long did it take to sell that property? How much work did they put on it? And if one thing had gone sideways on it, what would they have actually, um, actually made? So this particular property I'm talking about literally was done by somebody that we have in mastery. 4000 purchase, almost 400 some thousand dollars in rehab. Then they sell the property for $1.2 million. Now, most people, when they listen to that, oh my God, Andrew, they made so much money. You realize that this was in two years, two brothers put all their savings in into doing one flip. And then after two years, they flipped the property and was all said and done. They made a total net profit of $180,000. Now, think about this. Somebody listens to that, they're like, oh my God, they made one hundred eighty. dollars but it took two years. So then they take 180 and split it. It's 90,000 a piece. And then it took them two years. If one thing had gone wrong with that property, boom, guess what would happen? They would be in a lot of trouble and every penny of their life savings was invested in one property. Now, while they were doing this, they tried it our way, right? And in that same amount of time, they did six other flips that made them anywhere from 45 to 50,000 where they sold each property for less than 250. So now if you look at it, what is more profitable? Is the big flip more profitable or is the small flip more profitable? Now I know what you're thinking. You're like, Andrew, but if I can do one and make such a big profit, I'd rather do one. But guys, think about this one, right? That in relation to the amount of money they invested, what is the most profitable flip? And here's the beauty of it. You know the house that they bought for 400, they dumped 400 into it? Guess where they were? Both of them were there all the time. Why? Because they could not afford for anything else to go wrong in that property or anything be sideways. Because somebody buying the property, 1.2 million, 1.3 million, guess what's going to be? It's going to be a very picky buyer, right? Yet the other properties, they could just send their crews, just go visit it once a month, and they were good to go. See, the goal of flipping should not be how much profit I can make. The goal of flipping always should be is how much of my time, energy, effort does that flip take? Is this flip duplicatable? Is it predictable? And can I build a business around it? So that becomes really, really, really important. So which prop properties are you going to flip versus wholesale? You're going to flip a property when you can make two and a half times the profit of a wholesale. Remember that rule of thumb, two and a half times. Now, sometimes if it's 2.2%, 2.2 times, is that wrong? No, it's not. It's going to be a judgment call, but that's the rule of thumb I use. So what do I mean by that? Let's just say if I get a property under contract, if I can wholesale it and I can make, say, 25,000 bucks, 30,000 bucks, well, that's an option. But then if I can flip it and I can make 75,000 on the same property, 
by doing a rehab of thirty or forty thousand dollars, then guess what? I'm making a two to three and a half, a two to three times the profit of just simply wholesaling the property. In that case, I'm going to go ahead and do a flip. I'm not going to flip any property where I'm not going to make an extraordinary amount of return for the effort done. The other thing that you have to think about is that what are, so there are some basic rules, and this is important. If you don't have a, a paper and pencil, make sure you grab a paper and pencil, stop this recording uh, for a second, grab a paper and pencil, and write some of these rules down. Number one is you have to think about, number one is what is the price range, right? You don't go first look at the properties. First, what you have to do is you have to first realize which are the markets that I'm going to. Now, if you live in a very small town, if you live in a very small area, this is going to be rather simple for you, right? But if you live in a big city, if you're in, let's just say, Tampa, if you're in uh, you know, Orlando, if you're in Houston, if you're in Chicago like us, or like we operate in a market in Florida, right? What you have to think about is that, number one, what are the locations I'm going to go to? So I'll give you guys an example. Like in Chicago, we tend to divide Chicago into about four or five big segments. One is going to be downtown. Downtown for me is out. Why? Because it's too unique. You have too many condos. That is not a market that generally you're going to find wide margins for a flip. That's, I said generally. Now, does that mean is there a condo once in a while I can buy at an auction, dirt cheap, put it back on the market and sell it for a lot of money? Of course. But guess what? That's not 99% of properties. That's a very unique and what we like to call a boutique market. We don't try to go to boutique markets because, again, I can't duplicate it. I can't predict it. I can't do it over and over again. Remember, whenever we're talking about flipping today, whenever we're talking about anything, what are we trying to do? We're trying to build cash flow for life, which is eventually you and I, all of us, are going to end up with a lot of properties we're going to own for long term. We're building a business. We're not just doing this, oh my God, I did one flip, and then not be able to do anything for the next 10 years. That's not a business person. That's called a joke and bad joke at that. Are you enjoying the show thus far? You know what they say, knowledge is not power, but rather it's the application of knowledge that is power. That's why we are excited to announce the new dates for our Build Your Empire 3-day conference and property tour. At this game-changing event, you'll discover how to build lasting wealth with real estate, learn step-by-step -step methods, avoid common mistakes, and get insights from dozens of real estate and financial experts. If you are listening to the podcast, you know that real estate is a team sport, and we're here to introduce you to the local pros who can help you every step of the way. This event is your opportunity to walk through active real estate deals in Chicago and nearby neighborhoods. And the best part is, you can either attend live or virtually. Go to andrewhomesevents.com and get your early bird tickets now. At the event, you'll see properties being transformed into flips, rentals, or wholesale properties, giving you a rare and valuable learning experience outside the classroom. Meet and learn from successful students who've profited from our mentorship. Hear their stories and struggles, and discover how you can follow in their footsteps, regardless of your background or experience. And so much more. We also have a VIP package that will give you access to our exclusive networking sessions and an opportunity to connect and meet with Andrew himself. Plus, we even give you a hot lunch all of the days you are there. For more information and to secure your spot, visit andrewhomesevents.com. We sell out every time, so don't miss this opportunity to transform your real estate career. We will see you at our next event. And now, back to the show.
So if I look at the next part of the market in Chicago, if I look at what is called the Gold Coast or the north part of the Chicago, that's going to be the more expensive market, right? It's going to be, then you're going to go out of Chicago, it's going to be the expensive suburbs. Now, can you do flips in those markets? Absolutely. But if I was going to target a suburb, I wouldn't target a suburb in that area that's very expensive, very boutique, very unique. Why? Because that's going to be, an, uh, that's going to be a hard suburb to duplicate that over and over. So I'm going to try to find markets that are going to be mid-sectors. So if I look at a price range in that area, it's going to be minimum of 350 all the way up to a million, two million, three million. So guess what is the mid-sector market in that area? It's going to be somewhere from about 350 all the way about 600, 650. Beyond that, the properties are going to start getting too boutique, too unique. Now, if I start going west in the Chicago market, and see, this is similar whether you're in Houston, whether you're in... Uh, whether you're in Orlando, you're going to have markets that are going to be A markets. A, always remember, nice expensive malls, big, you know, fancy restaurants. Generally, that's an A. A is affluent. A is aspirational, right? We all want to be there. But generally, they're not the most lucrative markets. Why? Because guess what? People with money live there. Somebody goes, oh my God, I live here. My daughter just got married. I'm going to buy her house next door. If you're going to compete with somebody that's going to pay retail prices for a property, it's going to be hard to compete. Then you have on the other extreme, D markets. So if I take certain parts of Chicago, when people think about Chicago, what do they think? Oh my God, high crime. Well, guess what? It's really 95% of Chicago doesn't have high crime. In fact, compared to most cities, Chicago is very, very low on crime. But the 5% of uh, pockets of Chicago give Chicago a bad name. What we have to think about is, okay, did I grow up in that pocket? Now, if I grew up in that pocket, I understand the nuances of that pocket. And I understand, hey, what are the gangs? What, how do things work? You can actually sometimes get an extraordinary great price on those properties. Why? Because it's a tough neighborhood. Some people go, oh my God, that's where I'm going to go. Well, no, it doesn't make sense. If you grew up in the north side and you're going to go to parts of Chicago, which are really, really tough neighborhoods, you are going to be fish out of water. That doesn't mean you can't make money there. But the problem is you are not going to understand the nuances. What am I going to get to? What you have to think about always is what is the location that I'm going to invest in? So you don't look for A's because those are hard to find. You don't look for D's. These are areas that are disasters. What do I mean? Well, there's going to be a lot of crime. There's going to be a lot of challenging in terms of jobs. There's going to be a lot of tenants that are going to be challenging. The environment may be challenging. You may have a lot of break-ins. That's a D, which I call a disaster. A is affluent and D is disaster. Now you have Bs and Cs. So next to A is your B, which we could like to call bread and butter, which is you have a mix of both demographics. And then you have C markets, generally for doing flips. Where you're going to find the most volume of flips is going to be in a B or C market. So if I'm in Houston, if I'm in Orlando, or if I'm in Chicago, or if I'm in any of these big markets around the country, what I'm going to do is I'm going to identify suburbs, about six to eight suburbs, generally that are in and around a 35 mile, about a 30 to 40 mile, excuse me, not mile, uh, driving distance, 30 to 40 minutes from my particular home. So if I live in a very expensive area, guess what? It's going to be hard to go there. But what about the suburb next door? What about the door uh, suburb next uh, next to it? Same thing for the city. Like if you're in the city, say you're in city, uh, Southside Chicago. Well, guess what? It's going to be block by block. So as the density of the population gets higher, the amount of proximity, the amount of distance you need to travel gets no less and less. Why? Because you probably have 10,000 people living in less than a mile, for sure. 
Why? Because the area is very, very dense. So in a denser area, generally, you're going to have a higher crime. Is it per capita? Probably not per capita. But what happens is as people get farther and farther away from each other, guess what happens? The crime statistics goes down, right? Because why? Generally, who are the people who are involved in incidents? Generally, it's not 70-year-olds. You're not going to see a retirement community with a high crime. Generally, that doesn't happen. Generally, it's going to be that age group of, say, 15, 16-year-olds till about 40-year-old, 35-year-olds. After that, generally, and generally, it's going to be males. This is just like it or not, this is how it is. So generally, when you have a dense population, those type of things go up. So what I'm trying to say is this. If you're in a city and you're investing within the city, you're going to go look by zip codes. You're going to identify zip codes. If you're in the suburbs, you're going to go much more by the town. If it's called a town, if it's called a village, if it's called a suburb, whatever it's called, depending on which pocket of the country you're in. Generally, you want to look for B and C suburbs because you're going to find the best amount of deals. Same exact thing for the city. You can have a city area where you will have an A area, affluent area, with a B area and a C area and a D area all within 8 to 10 blocks. If you go to Chicago, you'll have some streets, some pockets that are just phenomenally great, right? There's an area called Hyde Park right next to University of Chicago, one of the top universities in the country, if not the world. And yet, you go four blocks towards the west, you have an area where you're like, oh my God, I ended up in the long, wrong part of Chicago. Literally, and it's all within a less than a mile radius. Why? Because the density of the population is so high. As you go to the university, it's going to be much more professors, much more very educated people, much more doctors, much more people with PhDs. As you start uh, walking a little bit farther away, obviously students are going to be there, heavily patrolled by police. As you go a little bit farther away, it's going to be general residents of Chicago. And then as you go a little bit farther away, immediately, it will change into a D area. Now, if you make a blanket statement, oh my God, I'm never interested in Chicago, it's bad. Guys, Chicago is one of the epicenters of real estate. So whenever we make these generic statements, we make them, why? Because that's our experience. So we always have to, the devil is always in the details. So number one with flipping was location. Do you understand how to identify location? We call that area selection. Probably one of the most important things. Because for me, if somebody says, hey, there's a very expensive property in a very expensive area, guess what? If the house is three, four, five thousand square foot. This is going to go to point two, and that's going to be is the size of the property. Well, why? So in our market, now I'm talking about in the Chicago market, right? And the Florida market. Uh, we're in a Florida market, which is a pocket called Punta Gorda uh, and Charlotte County area in general, just south of Sarasota. What is that market? It's a boring, sleepy market. It's not Sarasota. Certainly, it's not Tampa. It's certainly not Naples. So what are the mid-sector properties in that particular market? What are the mid-sector properties in Chicago? In Chicago, generally, the properties are going to be 800 square feet all the way up to about two to 3,000 square feet max, right? Generally, it's going to be actually 800 square feet to about 1,600 square feet. That's the sweet spot. So does it mean it's wrong to go rehab a four or 5,000 square foot house? No, it's not wrong. It's just that for that amount of square footage, it's going to take an extraordinary amount of work. In terms of the amount of money I'm going to spend in a rehab in that bigger house, on that bigger house, you may have a bunch of fireplaces, you may have a bunch of kitchens, you may have huge kitchens, you may have an outdoor kitchen, you may have an indoor kitchen, you may have a full finished basement, you have all these other things. And every single square foot that you add beyond about 15 to 1600 square foot, it ends up costing you a lot of money. So the sweet spot 
of investing in the particular Chicago market or in that uh, Charlotte market generally happens to be a small house, which is going to be a three-bedroom, one-bath house generally. Or if it's a two-bedroom, we're going to make it a three-bedroom if possible, if and when possible. It's going to be about a 900-square-foot house to a 1,600 to 1,700-square-foot house. So you have to think about the size of the property that you're going to go after. Now, that's going to be associated with the price range of the property. But what do I mean? Well, what is the targeted price range that you're going to look in? Right? See, generally, what do most people do? They just go and start, oh my God, I'm looking for a flip. I'm looking for a flip. I'm looking for a flip. And they just start looking at random number, random properties. And anything that falls in their lap, oh my God, that's the one I'm going to flip. In fact, most properties you should be passing. You should be wholesaling. You flip the ones, remember, with the widest margins. Right? Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. So number one thing was location. Number two was the size of the property that I'm going to look at. Like to me, the other day, somebody presented a property, 5,500 square foot. Andrew, this amazing deal, amazing deal. One time it was what 2 million. You can buy it for 700,000. And so I said to the person, guess what? I'm not interested in the property. They're like, yeah, but it will sell for 2 million. I'm like, I'm not interested. Like, but you haven't even seen it. I'm like, no, I'm going to the market to buy a puppy. I'm not going to the market to buy a baby elephant. Doesn't matter how good the deal is on a baby elephant. Doesn't mean a baby elephant demand, uh, you know, needs to go to a zoo. That doesn't go, need to go to my house. Doesn't matter how good the deal is. See, I'm not in the market for that. That doesn't mean, now if I was looking for a personal home to live in, maybe that's okay to buy that property. If it's in the right location, maybe I'd look at it. But not from investment purposes. Why? Because it's too unique. And this is really, really important when we think about looking for flips, when we think about looking for markets. So what are the markets that uh, lend themselves really well? Sometimes you'll have an expensive market, big homes. But guess what? It doesn't make sense to buy the big houses. It makes sense to buy the older houses uh, in the older neighborhoods in that particular town because less to rehab and more profit in relation with the amount of rehab that you're going to do. So first was location. Second was the size of the property. The third is the price range I'm going to flip in. That's going to relate to the last point that we were talking about. So for us, the price range that we look at, we have identified which pockets. So in like Chicago, when we look at it, we look at Western City and not far out suburbs, but Western suburbs that are not too far from the city. We look at the Northwest suburbs because that's an area I'm very familiar with. And we look at the South suburbs. Now, those are the three pockets generally we like to do flips. Now, will I own a rental that's a little bit farther away? Yes. Why? Because with the rental, once the rehab is done, I can just basically set it and forget it, especially if I'm doing two or three-year leases. With flips, when you're, especially when you're new, like I don't tend to go to properties that much because we have staff today. They go out and look at properties, but still, it's harder for us to do a flip 30, 40, 50 miles away. It takes up almost half the day to get there, to follow up on things and get back, your day is almost shot. And that's why it becomes important, the locations that you look at. So the next thing that's going to, uh, we're going to go. So we talked about location. We talked about square footage. We were talking about price range. So price range generally for us tends to be somewhere from about 100000 in terms of purchase to uh, in terms of purchase up to about two fifty to 300000 right? I'm not going to go more than that generally. Why? Because I have to think about, okay, what is this property going to sell for? So average flip, even in today's market that I do flips in, I'm going to be selling the property somewhere around 250 all the way to about 450 to 500 Now, are there properties I've sold for more? Yes, but it's only when we have a very, very, very wide margin, right? 
That doesn't mean you can't do bigger flips. But is my goal to do a bigger flip or is it to do the most profitable deals for the least amount of money invested? It's always to do the most profitable deals with the least amount of investment out of pocket. So now we're going to go to number four. Number four is going to be amount of rehab need. And this is a big one. Because uniquely, something like HGTV and all the reality shows have really, really put a damper on everybody's parade. Because guess what they show over there? They show over-the-top rehabs, right? Because remember what I said, there is no reality in reality TV, right? It's made for TV. It's made, those things are made half an hour, they buy the property, they rehab it, all these problems happen, they're going to get a divorce, and oh my God, voila, we made $100,000, right? That is not real, guys. That doesn't make any sense. So. In terms of rehab needed, right, we don't do any types of properties where we're adding a second story on. Well, why? Well, doesn't other people, uh, don't other people do that in your market? Sure, other people do a lot of things. Some people jump off a bridge. Doesn't mean I'm going to, right? Uh, what I mean by that is this, that when you do something, you have to ask yourself, why am I going to do it? If I take a ranch in my market, put a second story on it, and what is going to be the cost? What is going to be the time involved? What is going to be the headache involved? And am I better off maybe spending $100,000, $120,000, $130,000 in putting a second story and then making $80,000? Or am I better off just rehabbing it as is where it is for $30,000, $40,000 and making $50,000? Well, what is better? If you do the numbers, it's much better to make $40,000, $50,000 in the profit rather than having to dump two, two and a half, three times the money. And it's going to take you three times as long to get that done. So number one, we don't do additions. We don't do square footage additions because guess what? Your cash on cash return is not the highest when you do that. It sounds great on paper. I know because people try to argue with me about this point all the time. Like, Andrew, you don't understand. I'm like, listen, what you don't understand is you may have seen one property. I have seen thousands, right? And I've helped people with thousands. This is what I do. So I have a little bit bigger perspective. Uh, of this. And I'm not saying you can't do it, but if you do 10 of those, I can tell you predictably, you're not going to be as profitable much easier. And this is something you have to think about that spend 80% of your time looking for deals and 20% rehabbing them. What do most investors do? They spend 10% of the time looking for a deal and 90% rehabbing the property. So what they're doing is they think because they do more work, on the property, they're going to make more money. Remember the basic rule of real estate. You make money when you buy it right, meaning you found the right property. You know the most profitable deals ever, 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 ever in real estate are always grandmother's house that is dated. Grandmother's house that's dated, generally it's going to have a good roof. Why? Older people are afraid of houses with bad roofs because, oh my God, it's going to rain, right? Number two, as you get older, you get colder. This is a fact physiologically. So generally in colder climates, older people, even though they may not have a lot of money, they're going to have the best furnaces. Why? Because as you get old, your body temperature drops and you feel more colder. What is, why do I say furnaces are important? Here's the reason. Why? Because what's one of the big expenses you run into? It's furnaces. Number three, older people generally do not punch holes in the walls. They do not live, they may not have a lot of money. So in Chicago, you see some parts of town where you have orange carpet. You have green carpet, right? And you have the couch that they bought when they were 20 years old and they got married. It's still wrapped in plastic, right? It's a very, one of those things. It's funny when you see those houses because you know there's going to be hardwood floors underneath the carpet. You literally take out the carpet, get the hardwood, hardwood floors sanded, boom, you're good to go, right? Half the work is done. 
only thing that a lot of times older people don't get changed is the windows. Why? Because they never open the curtains, right? And people, you may be laughing, chuckling, listening to me if you've seen a lot of houses. But guess what? Those are the houses where you're doing a kitchen, you're doing a bath, boom, you're turning around, putting the back uh, property back on the market. Why? Because it has really good bones. So always remember, the other thing is, there's a trend in certain markets like Chicago, which is they will dig out the basements. They're like, oh, Andrew, you know, we strip the property to the bone and dig out the basement. Why? Well, because that's how you increase square footage. Guys, if you strip out the whole property, guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to need new, uh, new architectural plans. You're going to need all of this stuff. And digging out the basement, can you do it again? Sure. Should you do it? No. Why? Because you're doing too much work in relation to the profit. Just the other day, we had somebody come to the office and go, man, I do big rehabs all the time. I do big rehabs all the time. And I kill it, right? And I'm like, great, right? How much have you killed? He's like, man, over the last, you know, 10 years, I've done X amount of rehabs. I'm like, wonderful. That's great, right? He's like, yeah, we do total gut. I'm like, wonderful. I'm like, why are you here then? He's like, well, the problem is that uh, I don't have anything to show for it. I'm like, exactly. Why am I doing this? I'm doing this for one reason, to build cash flow for life. If you're doing a flip, and he's a contractor, great contractor, does fabulous job. I'm like, listen, man, you're too skilled. Just because you can build Taj Mahal every time, it doesn't mean that you can sell that sucker and make a profit. What is the goal here? To make a profit, to live on the profit, and or reinvest it and build a future, which is cash flow for life. Right? And that is important to understand. He's like, you know, what you're saying, I don't want to hear this, but I have to listen to this because you're right. The ones that I make the most amount of profit, dollar per dollar, are the ones that are kitchen and bath rehabs. So I'm like, listen, you have to spend more time looking for properties than rehabbing properties. This is a very foreign concept to most people, but if you pay close attention, that those are the most profitable deals. The next point is difficulty of the rehab. This is kind of tied in with the, this particular point, which was that how difficult is the rehab? We call something like that lipstick on a pig, which is a bathroom, kitchen, paint. It's not, doesn't mean the property's a pig, but it just means is that the property may be dated. It may have obnoxious colors. It may be that the kitchen is dated, the property's dated. The bones of the property are good, but generally you're going to rehab the property. You're not going to do remodel. Remodel meaning I'm going to put an addition on, I'm going to put a new pool in, blah, blah. Guys, leave that to the unique markets. Leave that to other people who love to do work. And this is a important thing to realize. Most of us, right? What are we taught, right? You got to go to good school. Then you got to uh, get a uh, good education. Then you got to work hard. And you work hard four, five, six years. And you go to your parents and go, hey, dad, I have nothing to show for it. They're like, yeah, no, no, you got to work hard. You go work another four or five years. Then you again go, well, what do I have to do? Well, keep working hard. Well, it's not getting me where I want to go. Guys, it's not necessarily about working hard. This is a immigrant mentality. This is a mentality of, from a lot of people that all you have to do is work hard. I'm not saying don't work hard, be lazy, but you have to be strategic. You have to be extremely strategic when you do something. If you're just going to just keep running on a treadmill, go get a job. At least you have job security there, right? Don't do flips. Don't get into real estate. With real estate, you have to be strategic. There are most properties shouldn't be touched. You shouldn't be touching them. All you should be doing is just selling it to somebody else, make a nice uh, wholesale fee on it, get rid of it. You touch the rehabs that are going to make be the most productive. So when we talk about uh, difficulty of rehab, am I doing a rehab that's a $30,000, $40,000 rehab? That's something that's doable in month and month and a half, two months, right? 50, 60, that's doable. Maybe 70 to 80, now we're talking about you're going to start really pulling permits, you're going to start doing all those things. 
But then anything more than that, generally, right? You're going to have to have architectural drawings. You're going to have to have, be removing big walls. You're going to have to do really something major. And what you have to think about is, is this something I have to do? So in the last few years, the big trend has been, hey, we want an open concept. What does open concept mean? Open concept generally means you're taking out one wall. That's it, right? And at the most, what you have to do is take out one wall. If it is a supporting wall, you put what is called an LVL beam, which is basically a load-carrying beam. It transfers the load, and it's three pieces of plywood all put together, screwed on, glued on, and that's it. And that's what you do. That is something that you can transform a house, get so much more for your money by doing a by taking out one wall. That is acceptable. But adding additional square footage, adding all those kind of things does not make sense. I could go on and on about this whole thing. So we talked about location. We talked about price range. We talked about uh, the sales prices of properties. We talked about how much rehab. And then last but not least is the time frame. That if I flip a property in six months, buy the property, rehab the property, put the property back on the market, get it sold. In six to seven months, that you've hit the averages. That makes the best sense. That is a miracle in itself. Most people do not get the property done in six months. Most, people's don't, most people don't turn it. Why? Because for most people, the rehab takes the longest. So what is a success? A success is a property where you invested, let's say you bought the property for 200. So you put 25, 30,000 down to buy the property. You did the rest of the money you got from a hard money lender to do the rehab. So now you have 30, 40,000 dollars you put down in terms of buying the property. You borrowed most of the money from a hard money lender. You borrowed the rest of the money from the hard money lender also to do the rehab. Now when you go sell it, you have 30 to 40 invested, you make another 40 to 50,000 dollars in less than 6 months. That's a great flip. So how do you find great flip properties? Well, first you look at the great locations. Next, you look at the price ranges you're going to go after. Third, you look at what are the sales prices in that particular area. Fourth, you look at the amount of rehab and or the size of the property that I'm going to rehab. See, you have to know what to target first before you can learn how to find the best flips. And what are some of the best places to find the flips? Here's the order of this. This we're going to do in another recording that will follow. And the best place, the best, most profitable place that is probably the easiest and you, I bet you you didn't think about this, it's going to be, yes, you heard me correctly, and at, that is the multiple listing service. I know people are, oh my God, Andrew, not this. We can't find properties. Guys, listen, literally, not only have I done personally thousands of deals, not only do I own over 250 rental properties, but I've taught this to thousands and thousands of people that own, that rent over 20,000 houses. So I have a little bit of a background in this, and we understand this buying properties with 20, 25, 30% equity, even after you put a refi loan on it, right? So I understand this fairly well. And the secret is number one place to look is MLS. Why? The largest amount of inventory, generally, even in a market like today, the prices are slipping as we talk. So that's the first place you look because that's the obvious place you look. Second, you should talk to agents who are in the market that are selling the most, that have pocket listings, that have other listings. They have not. Agents are probably one of your best, best, best resources, right? Sometimes agents can be a pain in the ass, but guess what? You should value them like gold because good agents are worth their weight in gold. They'll be an awesome way for you 
to supply you deals. The next one is going to be pre-foreclosures because a lot of areas, you take Chicagoland area, if you're in the, say, Philly market, Cleveland market, Detroit market, certain markets have a lot of pre-foreclosures. Other markets don't have as many. If you have pre-foreclosures, I would go after the pre-foreclosures and then I would go after the absentee owners, right? If you don't have as many foreclosures, then I would switch the equation. I would go after the absentee owners first and then I would go after pre-foreclosures. The next place to look is auctions, in-person auctions. The next is to look at offline auctions or, excuse me, online auctions, as I should say. And the other place to look at, one of the most important places is probates. So I would follow it in that order. Having said that, this recording has already gone too long for today. So we're going to shut it down. But remember, you do a flip when it makes an extraordinary amount of money in a small amount of time. And by small amount of time, we mean is six months. Remember what we say all the time, that the whole point of you being in real estate is for one thing and one thing only is because you want to build cash flow for life. Having said that, guys, please share. Please uh, share this with your friends, family, and maybe even your neighbor if they want to learn how to do flips. There's lots and lots more podcasts we have coming. Thanks a bunch and have a good day. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Cash Flow for Life podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you are listening to us on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with your friends. Achieving financial freedom is all about creating the necessary cash flow in your life. Our team has designed an entire ecosystem for you to be able to not only become a successful real estate investor, but for you to build higher cash flows month after month. Join our community at www.nationalreinvest.com to see which event is coming up that you can be a part of and how you can be a part of our community. Once again, it's www.nationalreinvest.com. We will see you on the next episode.